We're going to read together from Acts, the 10th chapter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 34 and then uh, through verse 43. And I would like for you to stand as I read aloud from God's word. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all this that he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Have you ever noticed that sometimes... It's non-believers, people who don't follow Jesus Christ, who ask tough questions and honest questions and good questions because they're searching, they're hungry, they're wanting to put the pieces together, they're, they're on their way, but their questions actually keep the church honest because they keep us focused on the main thing so that we don't get sidetracked by all the side stuff so that we don't get distracted by all the stuff and the junk of church, that it it helps our message stay laser-focused when we're listening to the questions of the unchurched out there who are curious and hungry and want to know. And that's what we find in the scripture that I read just a few moments ago from Acts the 10th chapter. It is one of the earliest recorded sermons after Jesus was raised from the dead. It was a sermon preached by the Apostle Peter, and uh, he was preaching to an audience built around one person. It was Cornelius and his friends. Cornelius was a godly Roman soldier. Now, if you know anything about uh, Jewish history, you would know that the average traditional Jew in this day would consider the phrase godly Roman soldier to be an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a godly Roman soldier in their eyes. The average Jew would say, it's not possible. Because first of all, the Romans are pagan. They don't believe in one God. They believe in lots of gods. And their lives and their behavior uh, are immoral. They, they, they live like animals. They, they live in an anything-goes kind of uh, culture. And then added to that, he's not just a Roman, but he's a Roman soldier the very source of oppression against the Jews, the occupying force, the empire that kept its boot on the neck of the Jewish people. But something had happened to Simon Peter, sort of like that that, uh, 
cocoon turning into a butterfly. The resurrection of Jesus had not only given him courage to speak up, but it had opened his eyes to see that Jesus Christ can save anybody. Jesus Christ loves everybody, that the gospel is for everyone. And so he knew that he couldn't feel that way anymore about those Romans and those Roman soldiers. But the Roman soldier was asking pressing questions. He was what was called in the book of Acts, Luke, the narrator who wrote the book of Acts, uses this technical phrase, Cornelius the centurion, the Roman soldier, was a God-fearer. The God-fearer was a special phrase reserved for those who were close. They'd been thinking about God. They'd been thinking about Jesus. They were asking questions. How do I get in God's forever family? How do I know my sins are forgiven? How do I know that God is in my life? How do I, I, I'm hungry for something more? See, this Roman soldier had achieved a level of success, of success. I mean, he was fairly high up in Roman ranks. He knew how to take orders, but he knew how to give orders. He knew how to organize. He knew how to keep people in line. And he had, degree, had achieved a degree of success in his life, but still there was something empty in his heart. There, there was an empty spot that wasn't getting filled by money or status or uh, material achievements. Like some of you, maybe, here this morning. You don't come to church all the time. You're here today because it's Easter, and that's great. We're glad you're here. But there's a reason you're here. Something's gnawing at you. Maybe you have a degree of financial comfort. Maybe you have a, a, a career or a reputation that you've worked hard for. Maybe you're in, uh, a student in school, and you've worked hard to be the right kind of person you're doing all the things by the book, and yet there's an emptiness. There's something gnawing away at you saying there must be something more. There must be something else besides this. And that's where that Roman soldier was. And so, because he was asking good, honest questions, he, he caused the gospel message to be just distilled into crystal clear simplicity. And that's what happens to us. The church gets back to our core message when we listen carefully to the questions of those on the outside. Many, many years ago, a Bible scholar by the name of C.H. Dodd identified what he called the core message or the core kerygma of the preaching in the New Testament. And I want to show you these five simple markers that he identified as a template, sort of a pattern, that no matter what the sermon is in the book of Acts, no matter what the preaching was in the early church, they sort of followed this five-part outline, and then they filled in as they could. Now, I'm going to leave that on the screen throughout the, the message, so that those of you who take notes, who like to write, don't have to scribble really fast. You can just sort of soak it in, and you can look at it while we're talking about it. But Five simple truths that I just read to you a moment ago in Simon Peter's sermon. Core, simple, laser message. Simple gospel. Jesus' life was full of good works, verse 38. Jesus was crucified and then raised by God's power, verses 39 and 40. Eyewitnesses verified Jesus' resurrection, verse 41. Jesus was appointed by God and authorized as judge of the living and the dead, verse 42. And Jesus offers forgiveness to everyone, not just a special class. 
everyone, verse 43. That's the core gospel. That's the message. A couple of things to note about that. First of all, that's the outline of all four gospels in our New Testament. That's the outline. There it is. Distilled down into simple simple points. Especially, that is, the outline of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And guess what? Most scholars believe that Mark's source for organizing his gospel and telling the stories was Simon Peter. So Simon Peter preached this way, and when Mark said, tell me a little bit more about this Jesus, Peter says, that's easy. I've got, the, I've got that sermon in my Bible right here, and it's all right there. Five, five easy things to remember. It's, it's the core message. And at the end of that message, he says, believe and receive. To all who believe, they receive forgiveness of sins. Isn't that a simple, isn't that a simple understanding? If we believe, we receive. If we trust, if we turn from a, a life that has ignored and shut him out, and if by faith we take the only life we have and place it in Jesus' hands, that's what it means to believe, and then we receive God's gift, God's, God's gift of, of forgiveness and fresh start and new beginning and resurrection. There's a second thing to note about this simple little outline. That's Peter's sermon. You take, out the cruci- you take out the resurrection of Jesus, and there's hardly anything left. Try it. Just read through that and take out every reference to Jesus being raised from the dead, and there's hardly anything there. You know what you have left? You have left a really courageous teacher who goes up against the system and he gets executed. That's it. End of story. But that's not the way the story went. It's a story about being raised from the dead, about reversing what normally happens. Now, I'm going to go ahead and state the obvious. I haven't heard it referenced this morning. Nobody came up to me and made this point. But I want to, I want to state the obvious. Today is April Fool's Day. Does everybody know that? Anybody had a prank played on them yet today? Boy, what a somber group. Wow, I feel sorry for you. Uh, today's April Fool's Day. And did you know by quirk of calendar, by twist of calendar, because Easter isn't always the same, the same time of year because of the, the lunar season, by quirk of calendar, the last time April Fool's Day and Easter fell at the same time on the same day, I was four years old. And that was a while back. And you weren't supposed to laugh then. Nor were you supposed to laugh then. But that's okay. I forgive you because forgiveness is in the Bible. Did you know that the next time after today that April Fool's and Resurrection Sunday are going to be the same time? 2029. And then after that, the next time it happens, it will be 2040. And then it won't happen again this century. Now, what if we just played with our imaginations and and let ourselves just go a little bit. What if God has played the best April Fool's joke on Satan and the forces of evil that could ever be played? What if God has allowed them to think they're winning and sin and death and hell and the grave 
feel like they have the upper hand and they have the last word and that's all there's going to be to human existence. That's all there is to the cosmos. But God steps in and God says, April fools, I'm raising my son from the dead. I am raising Jesus and death doesn't have the last word. Sin and hell and the grave aren't the final story. I'm having my way and love is reversing the flow of history. And that's exactly what happens in the resurrection. In fact, it's in Peter's sermon. He's preaching along and in verse 39 he says, They put Jesus to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. That's one of the most important phrases in all of the Bible, but God. They, they nailed him to a cross. They thought that'll take care of that. There's no way love is going to overcome hate. There's no way, there's no way uh, salvation is going to overcome damnation. There's no way any of that's going to happen. We've taken care of it, but God. April fools, but God. But God steps in. And God reverses the flow of history. God says, wait a minute, pause, I've got the last word. I'm going to have say. I'm raising my son from the dead. Now see, despite everything we see, Jesus, the risen one, is love's reversal of of all of this. I mean, we look at cemeteries, that's depressing. We hear words like cancer, dementia. We hear words like terrorism and school shootings. Sometimes when we're alone, we look in our own hearts and we see nothing but darkness and yuck and sin and selfishness. Despite everything we see, God has the last word. God's side wins. Jesus has reversed history. When he came back from the dead, that is love's great reversal. And someone has said that the evil in this world is like a vicious dog that's chained up to a peg in the yard. The dog makes a lot of noise. The dog is scary. The dog is real. And the dog is puffed up thinking he's going to win. But he's on a chain. He doesn't have the last word. And that's the victory of the cross and the resurrection. Satan and the forces of darkness are real. Sin and death and disease, they're real. But they are not the final thing that God has to say about our lives. When God raised Jesus, he executed the complete reversal. It's love's reversal of all that was flowing toward death, and toward annihilation. The other day I was uh, driving the family van and I had in the the seat behind me strapped in uh, our seven-year-old grandson. And you know, seven-year-olds, they don't think in a linear fashion. You know, it's just, it's whatever comes to their mind. He's He's learning numbers at school, so I guess he's fascinated by numbers. And we're just driving along, having a good drive. And and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, Papa, how old will my dad be in 60 years? And I said, well, he'll be in his 90s. And before I could say anything, he said, and Papa, you'll be dead. (laughs) Thank you for that. 
I should have pulled the van over, made him get out, and walk home. That's grandparent abuse. But you know, he was kind of right. Now, we can laugh about it to kind of keep it at arm's length, but guess what? In 60 years, 70 years, 100 years, we'll all be gone. We'll all be gone. And there's a somber note in this core sermon that Peter preached. Number four, Jesus was appointed judge of the living and the dead. Verse 42, Jesus has been authorized as Lord of the cosmos to bring our lives into accountability. To say to us, this life matters. This is not child's play. We don't get another chance at this. This is not dress rehearsal. This is the real thing. We are made for eternity. And God is beckoning us into a relationship. But the choice is ours. We believe to receive. We make a choice to step into his life. Or we don't. But it's the real stuff. And yet, and yet, for all of the talk in Scripture about how the risen Christ changes the next life, have you ever noticed that there's almost more Scriptures in the New Testament about how the risen Christ changes this life? How if you're bogged down with sin and shame, the great liberator frees us, the risen one reverses our lives and forgives us? How if you're struggling with addictions and habits that are enslaving you, only resurrection power can turn you around, can reverse things? If you're struggling with relationships and you just don't have it in you to love and you need help loving that only the risen one can be a force living inside you to reverse that flow of hatred, have you ever thought about all the ways your heart is empty, searching for meaning, searching for hope, And only the risen one can fill that spot in your life where only God fits. Over and over again, the risen one is not just about changing where we'll be forever. He's all into what we will be the rest of our days here, the transformation. But it only happens if we trust Him. It only happens... If we're willing, we believe to receive. We have to open our lives and trust the risen one to reverse all that stuff in our lives.